Good morning, God's wonderful people. Here we are today at the beginning of a new day, a new dawn in your life. And a reminder to you this morning that you are created by God to be more than you have ever achieved. You are created to be greater than you have ever done before. Your creation, the fact that God placed you here, it means that you have a purpose to fulfill. That purpose defines everything about you. That purpose defines how you live and how you behave. When you know that purpose, it is then that your life can become all that you are created to be. I tell you this, my friends, you are created to be more. Always strive for more. Always strive to become more, to be more, and you will have more. You'll never get more until you become more than you have been. Because what you have been so far has given you what you have so far. We continue our study of the warrior's identity. And we are studying our text in Genesis chapter 1 from verse 26 to verse 31. In this section are given three declarative statements that God made concerning man. We have already established that there are ten declarative statements God made in creation. Three of those declarative statements were made in respect of man. And these declarations are what we are looking at and studying. Because these declarations that God made about man are going to teach us about who man is and what man is supposed to be and do. It's going to teach us about man's identity. It's going to teach us about who he's supposed to be. But when we talk about the warrior's identity, I want you to understand this is not what we're saying that all men are being today. Because we understand that these declarations that God made concerning man, man is, is as a responsibility of choosing to be what God has declared about him. Because man is given that, that um, ability to choose. Autonomy is something that man has been given. And we have to choose to be who we are or to be you know, what we want to be separate and apart from what God has created us to be. We have a choice in the matter. So we're analyzing these declarations. And we are presently looking at the first declaration God made concerning man. The declaration God made concerning man, the first one God made concerning man, is let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That's God's first decorative statement concerning man. And we have so far analyzed the first portion of this decorative statement because we, this declaration is made in two parts. It's obviously made in two parts because the first part says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's the first portion. And that addresses one aspect of man's creation. And the second portion, and let them have dominion all the way down to the rest of the verse, that speaks to another aspect of man's creation. And my friends, the identity of the warrior is wrapped up in these decorations God made. Concern the creation of man. What what? What he declared about man is a sum total of who man is and therefore the full essence of who the warrior is. So if you want to know who the warrior is, you analyze these statements and you will come to a conclusion as to who, who the warrior is. 
it is wrapped up in these statements. Now, this, this first declaration that God made concerning man, it, it has two parts. And here, the two parts we've gone through is this, that the first part that deals with, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That first part tells us who man is, who the warrior is. And the second part is the scope of man's authority or the scope of the warrior's authority, what he can do. So that's the two parts of this first declaration. And everything we need to know about man is right here. And everything we know about what man can do is right here. The scope of man's authority. We have looked at the first part and, and, um, of this declaration. And we have seen that man was created to be God in the flesh. He was created to be the outshow of God's righteousness. And the vivid representation of the ways of God. So that's what man was created for. He was created to show forth the righteousness of God. To be, to be that vivid representation of God's righteousness. To show that this is what righteousness is. This is who God is. And so, that is what man was created to be. Now, man was created to manifest God in who he is and in all that he does. So, everything that man does is supposed to manifest God. So, all that he is, all of who he is, is supposed to manifest God. And everything he does is supposed to manifest God. That is what man is created to be. But the mere fact that not every man is at the moment manif manifesting God. The fact that not every man is showing forth God. It makes it obvious that man has to choose to live according to what God has created him to be. He has to make a choice whether he wants to live according to what he's created to be or according to how he wants to be. So man must choose whether or not he wants to live as who he is or according to what contains him. What do we mean by that? By that we mean man either live as how he was created to be, a spirit that manifests and show forth God, because man is spirit. Because man was created in the image of God. Man is spirit. Man was created in the likeness of God. God is spirit, so man is spirit. But he's given a body. A body that contains him, that gives him the ability to function in the earth realm or in the physical realm. It is his body that gives him that ability and a peculiar ability of operating in this realm. Man has a body and therefore he can operate in the physical realm. So man can choose to live according to what contains him, that is his body, the flesh. Or he can live according to who God created him to be. Which is he's a spirit of he's a spirit. He's like God. He's the image of God. So he can choose to be that. Or he can choose to be just flesh. But God created us, my friends, to be more. We turn our attention now to look at the second part of this declaration concerning man. In this section, we will analyze the phrase, let them have dominion. We are going to do this to ascertain what God means by have dominion. Because once we define that, it will clarify several things for us. It will clarify what, what are we supposed to have dominion over and how wide is this dominion and, and, and over what does this dominion extend. All right, And it, it will define a lot of those things for us and many things more. What we have to realize, my friend, is that whatever God says, every declaration that God makes is a reality created or destroyed. So whatever utterance God makes, it either creates a reality or it destroys one. The Bible isn't a fairy tale book, my friends. And the Bible declares in Proverbs 18 verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, my friends, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It means that your words create life or it takes life. Your word give continuance to life or it can seize life. Your words are creative and there is no other language on the face of the earth that demonstrate this more vividly than the Hebrew language. Every word that God utters is a declaration made. And so when you put those words together, it's not just a sentence, it's a paragraph, it's a containment of an entire discourse. An entire discourse can be made up of six, six words, but it can give you an entire book of discourse. That's because of the uniqueness of the Hebrew language. So my friends, this declaration that God made concerning man, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. This declaration that God has made, nobody can change that. Nobody can mess with that. The only person who can change this or mess with this is man. You see, we tend to think that the devil do things to us. But what we must understand is that the, the enemy of our soul, he literally manipulates and deceives us into doing things to ourselves. Deceives us into making certain declarations. That's what he does. Now tell me this. Where in the Bible has it ever said that whatever the devil says becomes? He doesn't have the authority to do that. He doesn't have the authority in this realm to do that. The authority rests with man. And so he has to convince or deceive man into doing what he wants man to do. Now, this might be strange to some person to hear something like this. But the Bible says, the thing in James chapter 5, it says, We are tempted when we are drawn away of our own lust and is enticed. So we tend to think that the enemy plasters something in front of us and tempts us to go to, to do that. But what really happens is that the temptation begins with us. The temptation begins with us. We are tempted when we are drawn away by your own lust. So in other words, if you have no lust, you can never be tempted. If you have no lust for something, you can't be tempted by it or, or to, to go, for it, go after it. For example, if you love ice cream, you love ice cream, seriously love ice cream, and you're walking on the street, and someone stands on the side of the street with a nice ice cream, especially if it's a favorite um, flavor, and they are there with the ice cream and they're filling cones and, you know, eating the ice cream and they have a maybe a, a bucket of ice cream in front of them. And, I mean, you look across and it, the person is beckoning to you to come across to enjoy some. Because of your love for ice cream, you are going to be tempted to go. But with other factors, you may not go as well as you may go. But the fact is, the temptation arises because of your love for ice cream. That is what gives rise to the temptation. If you ate ice cream and that person is beckoning to you, it, that would be a disgusting thing to you. Walk and nothing pain in your mind. Because there is no enticement, there's no lust in you for that. So you are tempted when you are drawn away by your own lust. So if there's no lust in you for the thing, you cannot be tempted with it. So it begins with us, my friends. It begins with us, the temptation of the enemy. The enemy's acts against us begins with us. He has to get our permission to operate within this realm to affect our lives. But also, my friend, it takes up even Job's story. 
he had to get God's consent to begin to address Job or to begin to affect Job's life. And he realized that the, the situations that were created were created by the, through the manipulation of men. You see, the, the enemy didn't just come and destroy Job's house just out of the blue. It was another tribe or another nation that came and destroyed his animals and took his animals. So the enemy manipulated those individuals to do this theft, this larceny upon Job's possessions. And all these things were manipulated to bring about all this. Because, you see, in order to operate in this realm, you see, the spirits need a man. Now, I'm not saying that God can't operate independent of man. Of course God can. God is sovereign. But the fact of the matter remains that God made things in such a way that in order for him to operate in the physical realm, he needs a physical body through which to operate. So he brought his son in through a woman because he still has to come through a man. And he may say, no, that's not a man. When God made man, it did not make two. He made one man. That is Adam. And out of Adam, he brought forth a woman. So in essence, you have to understand that in the spiritual realm, there's no male or female. One spirit, man. There's no male or female in the spiritual realm. And so that is what you need to understand. That when God made man, he made one man. And out of that man, he brought forth woman. The different models, there are two models of the same being. Model female, model male. That's what we have. So I want you to understand here, my friends, that in going through this, we have to understand the potency of words. And that's really what I was explaining here. The potency of words, the potential of words to create and destroy. With your words, you can create the life you live or you can destroy the life you have with your words. The enemy does not have that ability of speaking creatively with his words. That happens through man who was created in the image of God. Man has the ability to speak a word and things become. But that will happen when you're connected to God. That's what we have seen. Now, by this declaration that God has made, that man must have dominion. By this declaration, God created the reality of life the warrior is to live. He created the reality of life that the man is supposed to live. So what we'll be doing in looking at this second part of this declarative statement that God has made, that man must have dominion, we're going to analyze this statement. Just as we analyze the first, we're going to analyze this second part of the statement. And in analyzing this, we're going to first analyze the word radar. Now, radar is the Hebrew word for dominion. It is the word translated dominion. We will then turn our attention to analyze the scope of that dominion. All right, so here's what we have to understand. One, every authority comes with its own set of responsibilities and tasks. So we're going to analyze this statement and we're going to look at it and try to understand what it is. But here's a fact that we have to learn about life and authority. Every authority comes with its own set of responsibilities and tasks. So, for example, if you're a teacher, there's a set of responsibilities that comes with you being a classroom teacher. You have to take care of your students who are in the class. You have to 
be the you are the person responsible for giving them assigned tasks assigned tasks to them that will develop the skills that they need to develop you have the responsibility of developing those skills in these students so with every authority comes a set of responsibilities and tasks if you are given the authority of a police officer you are expected to operate with the responsibility of a police officer and the different tasks that goes with that authority you have to assume those tasks as well. So every authority comes with its own set of responsibilities and tasks. So if you have the authority, then you must take up the responsibility as well and the task that goes with it. You can't expect to assume the authority and not take up the responsibility that goes with it, the tasks that goes with it. Because sometimes we like to think about the authority. We like to lavish ourselves in the authority. Why? Because for a lot of us, authority is status. Authority is not status. Authority may give you status in the eyes of people, but authority is not about status. It's not about lifting you up and putting you in a particular space. Authority is about wielding a certain responsibility and task. So it's doing a particular work and having certain responsibility regarding that work. So if someone sends you out, can you please take this package to John down in Timbuktu. It means that you have been authorized to have possession of that package and to deliver that package. But you're also given the responsibility of ensuring the safe delivery of that package and that it goes into the right hands and that it's kept in its proper order until it gets there. That's the responsibility you have as well. You are assigned the task also of taking that package to its destination. So these responsibilities go with the authority you have been given. So every authority comes with its own set of responsibilities. If man is given the authority to have dominion, then he's given that set of tasks that goes with it as well. In the first part of this decoration, we had looked at the authority that man has by virtue of who he is in the words image and in the word likeness. That in this word, we find that there's a connection with this word Radha. When we looked at the word Salem and we analyzed the Sadiq, we saw that Sadiq connects with Radha in his gematria. The gematria for the name of the letter Sadiq, when that the name is spelled out, the gematria for that name was 204, that we, we saw it was 204. And that number connects Sadiq with Radha. Here to analyze the word radar, but we must understand that in the very first word that we analyzed, that we saw that there is a connection with radar. So even in that very first word, the idea of having dominion, of subduing, of ruling, of governing is right there in the image. So the image of God that we have been given is also the ability to exercise dominion. So it means that we, it comes with the authority as well. So we have been authorized by God. And the fact that we are in the image of God means that we have the authority to operate in this realm. And that authority comes with responsibility, my friends. Another thing we must understand about this is that the task relates to the intent and will of the one who authorized you. The time and the responsibility you are given, they relate to the intent and will of the person who authorized you. So if God authorized you, it therefore means that the task you're going to perform, it relates to the intent of God and the will of God. 
So when you're authorized, you can't just do anything you please. You have to operate within the confines of your authority and do the task that goes with your authority. And who assigned those tasks? The person who authorized you. When a police officer is authorized to operate, he is given certain tasks to perform. He cannot just go down the road. He must cope within which to operate. And as long as he operates within that scope and do those tasks, he's okay. When he steps outside of those that scope and outside of the confines of those tasks he has been assigned, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. So we have to understand with authority comes task and responsibility. Those tasks and responsibility, they relate to the will and intent of the person who authorizes you. Man being authorized by God means that man is expected to perform the will and intent of God. That's what we have been authorized to do, my friends. We have been authorized to be like God and to live like God. So let us assume these tasks and responsibility that come with the authority we have been given. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is a part of the prayer template that Christ gave to his disciples. And here in this prayer are the words that Christ gave them to pray. And he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This, my friends, is where our hearts need to be. The prayer of our hearts need to be, Lord, let your will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. Our job here on earth is to make earth a copy of heaven. Or for word's sake, for want of a better word, a colony of heaven. We are supposed to bring the culture of heaven on earth. The culture that is there in heaven is supposed to be here on earth. That is our job. And God has authorized us to do that job. And like I said before, when you're authorized to do something, it means you have been given the responsibility and a set of tasks to do what he who authorized you wants to be done. So let's do the work and will of God and make his will be done here on earth. Father, we thank you today. We thank you that you are still faithful regardless of our feelings and shortcomings you remain faithful and we want to say father thank you lord but as we express our thanks to you father we also want to say to you and ask you lord to let your will be done in our lives as we surrender totally to your hands and to your leading we give you thanks in jesus name amen have a great day now my friends and do remember that god loves you and I do too. Shalom.